We are in the gospel according to John. I'm excited about this. We're going to be in it for a while. So strap in, get comfortable, find yourself a book during the week to read, John, a book of John, and uh, read a chapter. We've been reading chapters each night as our family, and it's been really um, amazing just as a, as a family and as a church family to walk together through the book of John. So we'll be here for a little while, so get comfortable. So uh, I'm in John chapter 2 today, chapter 2, Wedding Crashers, Wedding Slash Crashers. That's the title of my message here. You'll see what that means in a minute. But let me pray, and then we'll jump into it. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word as a revelation of who you are to us, and we can understand a little more about who you are and understand about who we are as humans And so we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of John, for the faithfulness of of your apostle, your disciple John, the the one you love, the beloved one, that he wrote these down so that we would believe. So we thank you for that. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the gospel according to John last week, if you didn't hear, Pastor Brian preached on chapter 1 and gave a good introduction. And so just a few quick points about the gospel of John. It is John the Beloved, one of Jesus' 12 disciples who wrote this, probably in his older age. Uh, It's written after books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other three Gospels. And so it's it's a unique Gospel where there's, you know, a high percentage of stories in there that aren't found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's also written not necessarily in a chronological order. Like Luke is very chronological, very detailed in his writing— but John, we'll actually see today in John chapter 2 how it's not chronological. Like, there's events that will flash forward in time. And so if you're paying attention, you got to pay attention to kind of the themes and what's happening. And so the book of John is not necessarily a chronological order. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can kind of see where the chronological order of the life of Jesus is in those. But John likes to kind of, you know, twist things up for a reason, for a theme for us to look for. All right? And so then... Uh, This is where we are in John 2 then. We'll see that kind of flash forward moment in these two stories. So we'll see in these stories in John 2, we'll see a wedding and we'll see a cleansing. And so part one is a wedding. Oh, go ahead, part one. Part one is a wedding. And this is in John 2, 1 through 12. And this is, uh, the theme kind of here is miracles by God. There's a miracle that happens by, by God, by Jesus, with the help of humans. All right, so we'll see humans actually involved in this miracle at this wedding where he turns water into wine. There's human involvement that Jesus gets us involved with this. And then part two of John chapter two is the cleansing of the temple, which is a judgment by God. And I put with Jesus. So we'll see at this cleansing part that the humans aren't necessarily involved in the cleansing where it's really Jesus doing all of the work. And that's in chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. So that's kind of how chapter 2 is split. And we'll talk about how they're actually connected and how these stories aren't, like I said, necessarily chronological because this cleansing of the temple in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all found at the end of Jesus' ministry. A couple days before he goes to the cross, this part is found. So this is the same scene as those scenes, but this is a flash forward that John does with us where he starts off with a wedding And then he'll end this part with the cleansing of the temple. All right. You all interested now? Mm, Interesting. Right? Mm, Say, hmm. Hmm. All right. 
So we're going to walk through the first part, John 2, 1 through 12, a wedding, which is miracles by God with humans. So let's read this part in John 2, verses 1 through 12. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip out some water and take it, or now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And so we see at the very beginning of this part where it says the next day. Some translations say the third day, which is a, which is a continuation of what's happening in John chapter 1. So right at the end of John chapter 1, we see which Pastor Brian mentioned about Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was, Jesus told Nathaniel, hey, I know you. I saw you sitting by the fig tree. Oh, you're a prophet. You know, Nathaniel responded. And, and Jesus said, well, you'll see greater things than that. You're going to see greater. You're going to see the, 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 the Son of Man ascending and descending into heaven. And then it starts with this next day. The next day, Nathaniel's here at this wedding celebration in Cana, which is actually the hometown of Nathaniel, the, the disciple in, in chapter 1. So this is his hometown that he's in. And so he said, you're going to see greater things than this. This was... John 2, the wedding, water turned into wine, is the first sign of seven signs that we'll see in the book of John. How John puts the, the gospel, there's seven different signs. And so this is the first sign of the seven signs in John. This is the first one here, which we'll see. And this is the, when he reveals his glory to the crowd. And so the book of John is designed in this way where there's these different miracles and signs that happen so that the reader will believe in Jesus. And we see that at the very end of John. And so talking about flash forward here, I'm going to flash forward on us. John chapter 20, which there's 21 chapters in John, but John chapter 20 says this, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs, all those seven signs. And this is after his resurrection and after he resurrected from the dead. They saw these signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. I love when the Bible talks about the Bible in the Bible, right? I love when God talks about the Bible in the Bible. So he's like writing it. These are written down. This gospel is written down so that those who read 2,000 years from now will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and through believing, you'll have life. Through believing, you'll have life. So that's why we're going through the book of John, because we want to have life. We want to live on this earth with the life of Jesus flowing through us. So this wedding was at a place called Cana, which is in Galilee area, right next to Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. 
So it's right next door. So Jesus and his disciples and his mother, they're all part of this close-knit community of people. So that's why they were invited to this wedding. Everyone, everyone knew them. They knew the mother. They were invited to the wedding. It doesn't say anything about the bride and groom, who they were, but we just know that they all, they all knew each other. <clears throat> and so in Cana, this actually is the place also, we'll see in chapter four, that this Cana place is the place of the second miracle where Jesus performs a miracle which somebody comes to Jesus, a healing of an official son. An official comes to Jesus while he was in Cana. He said, hey, my son's all the way over in Capernaum. Can you heal him? Yeah. Now? Yeah, it's done. Okay. So Jesus was in Cana when the second miracle actually happens later in chapter four. So a lot of different connections here, so keep up. I've actually been to Cana, the real place in Israel. I've been there myself, and I saw signs there. I saw many signs, literal signs that said, buy wine from Cana. I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like that's all I remember of Cana was literally it was a tourist trap now where they're trying to sell wine from Cana. Ooh, where Jesus made wine. I was like, I'm not falling for this. Like I've got Jesus living in me while I was in Cana. I had the living water living inside of me when I was in Cana and they're trying to sell me this wine from Cana. I'm like, okay. So anyways, I thought, I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, literally, that's all I remember of Cana. There's just, it's just kind of a touristy area now like that. So that's it. So this wedding, uh, the invitation, and uh, we see that in verses 2, 3, and 4, we see that Jesus and disciples were invited to this wedding. Jesus, Mary, the disciples were there. Wine ran out. Mary looked to Jesus to see what he would do about it. And this is an interesting response. Jesus said, well, you know, dear woman, now he doesn't call her mother there. There's just a clue there of what Jesus is about to step into. Because for 30, he's 30 years old now. So for 30 years, he's been living, you know, under his, other, his mother's authority, under, still under God's authority, yes, but with his mother and helping his mother. And we, we think that also uh, his father, Joseph, might have been passed away at this point because there's no mention of him. And so he's probably taken care of his mother and his, and his brothers for a long time. And so here he says, woman, you know, that's not our problem. Which I thought, well, okay. And then he says, my time has not yet come. So I think what he's doing here is he's, he's contemplating his, his time, what this means about his time. Because why did Jesus come to this earth? He didn't come to turn water into wine, but this was something he did at this moment at a wedding. He came to preach the good news, which turning water into wine, I guess, would, would, be, would be good news. But he ultimately came to, to die on the cross, to resurrect from the dead, to show us the Father, show us the way of the Father. And so Jesus had to contemplate that. He's, I think he's really thinking about it at this moment. Like, is this really my time? And so what I think is that he actually possibly would have, would have prayed to the Lord at that, prayed to his father. My, my time hasn't come yet. Let me, and, it, and then there's a pause. His mother told his servants, do whatever he tells you. And then the next thing we know is that Jesus then begins to do this miracle. He told the servants. And so I think he was praying and asking his father for the go. Can I do this now? Is this the time, God? Is this the moment? This is a real intense, I think, moment for Jesus where he's thinking about it. I mean, remember, Jesus, yes, is 100% fully God. He's also fully man. He was thinking about this and contemplating, well, if I do this, this is going to this is gonna begin our time here on this earth where it's going to lead to the cross. Is this the time now, God? Yeah. And so God gave him the go, and this is why it's the first sign. And so we see that uh, Jesus... In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus didn't turn water into wine because his mother asked him to, but because his father told him to. His father told him to. We have to, we have to believe that, that his father told him that because look in John 
verse 5, verse 30. Look what he says about him doing things that his father asks. He says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will, not the will of, of humans, but the will of the Father. And so he had to think and pray and ask the Father if this was the time. And we know that God gave him the go because now Jesus is beginning to do this miracle. And he brings in the servants and says, here we go, let's do this. And so this miracle of turning water into wine would have been very helpful and very life-saving for the couple, for the bride and groom. Because if they would have ran out of wine at the wedding, what do you think would have happened? Everybody would be talking about it. Oh my gosh, remember Bob and Sue's wedding 10 years ago? They ran out of wine. That'd be the first thing they say after every time they think about Bob and Sue and their, and their marriage. It would have brought a lot of shame upon them in that culture because wine was an act of, of celebration, of joy. You run out at the wedding, you run out of joy at a wedding? Uh-oh, <laughs> that's not good for them. And so the couple was probably like, oh no, this is not gonna be good for the rest of our lives. We're gonna have a, a spot of, of, of shame on us for the rest of our lives. And Jesus, we know, came to take away our shame. He came to take away the shame. We see it right here at a wedding, that what could have been a very chaotic and very crushing situation for this bride and groom, Jesus turned it around and turned it into the best thing that's ever happened to them. What could have been a situation that was real shameful, Jesus turned around for the good, which is a theme throughout scripture. When bad things happen, God has the power to turn those things around for good, and it's better than it was before. And so this situation turns out to be a, a really awesome uh, moment where, where Jesus involves humans, and he involves them. He involved Mary. What did Mary do? She, she asked God, Jesus, hey, let's you know, do this. She asked the servants. Then what happens is the servants fill the water. Jesus got them involved. Hey, servants, do this part. Okay, we'll do this part. Hey, master of ceremonies, dip, dip, dip in here. Okay. Even the groom was involved when he tasted it. And he was involved with this whole process. And so Jesus could have turned water into wine on his own, right? I mean, he could have sold the, the empty stone water jars and been like, wine, dip it in there. Oh, wow. But he got other people involved so that they would, would feel involved in it. They would, my water, I think it's still water, maybe. Is it water still? <laughs> yeah, it's still water. I don't know. I mean, it could have happened. <laughs> so he's getting humans involved with this, right, this process, because now they get to share in the, this glory of Jesus being revealed, because they're like, oh, I was a part of that. Now when they talk about this wedding, they're like, Jesus turned water into wine. Guess who was the one that put water in those jars? Me. And eight other people, because we all had to carry it because it was really heavy, but I was involved. And all 60 other people that were there and 100, whatever, they were all involved. And Jesus got them involved in the miracles that were going on in that time. And so here's, a, here's an awesome pattern that we can take away from this whole scene of water uh, being turned into wine that Jesus gets this, this miracle. And so here's a pattern that I see in miracles that I think would help us out as believers who want to see God act and move in our lives. We don't want to live boring lives and just, we're saved, but now we're just going to sit here until we die. We want to be involved in the, the activity of God and what he's doing on this earth. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want to be a part of that. How does he get us involved with that? How does he get us involved with that? Here's a, here's a pattern I see in this miracles. You can do that, that pattern there. Miracles, the pattern that God uses is prayer. Mary was involved in that prayer, wasn't she? Hey, Jesus, can you do this? 
What is that? Prayer. Hey, servants, do what he tells you. There, this is a, there's a prayer. There's an interaction with humans and God happening, communication with humans and God. Mary, human, talking with Jesus, God, prayer. There's prayer. Then there's God's word because Jesus said to the servants, hey, servants, he's saying things. Words are coming out of his mouth. We have his word. We have prayer, communication with God, his word, okay? Then the second is our obedience. The servants had to obey. If they didn't obey Jesus' word, nothing would have happened. Hey, servants, get this water. Can't you just, like, flick your fingers, get Jesus, and turn it? No, get involved. Okay, all right. They obeyed. Something was happening. They felt it. The glory was starting to kind of rattle, and they felt it. The servants were like, something's about to happen. I want to be involved with this, but it takes my obedience. I can't just walk away and be involved. I got to obey Jesus in his word. So there's an obedience, and then when they obey, what happens? Jesus gets the glory. Master of the ceremonies actually goes to the, the bridegroom, and he's like, hey, wow, you did this. And we don't see the groom saying anything like, no, I wasn't. But it, we see that Jesus get the, gets the glory. It says, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So his glory is revealed when we pray, when, his, when God's word is heard, when we obey God's word, he gets the glory. And then fifth is there's an increase in belief increase in belief. And so when this pattern happens, when there's an increase in belief, if we pray and ask the Lord to show us something in his word, to give to somebody else, we're obedient. Hey, give this to this person who doesn't know me. But God, are they really going to believe you? Just give this verse, give this conversation, have a conversation with this person, go and do that. Okay, I'll do it. You go and do that. That person gets touched by Jesus's glory. (gasps) They believe. (gasps) I believe now. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to go to step one. They're going to pray. They're going to read God's word. They're going to obey. And it's just a cycle that we can get ourselves in. This is a good cycle to be in. There's a lot of bad cycles we can get ourselves in. This is a great cycle to live in. Prayer, God's word, obedience for the glory of the Father, increase in belief in this world. Isn't that why we're here? So we see this at a wedding here at the very, very beginning of Jesus' ministry. So I think we can take that away, right? Right, kids? You guys see that? You guys can pray? Talk to God? You can read his word? You guys all have your journals? You can obey God's word? You can obey your parents? God gets all the glory. He's doing it all. You're involved. You're one of the servants that gets the water for the, for the, for the wine. You're involved. And then there's an increase in belief. We're all believing together, worshiping God together. So then, now there's a switch. Uh Uh-oh. John flashes forward to this time when Jesus is going to cleanse the temple. Now, I believe this doesn't happen right after the wedding. It's not time frame right after. This is later. So in verse 13 through 22, we see cleansing, judgment by God with Jesus, only Jesus. There's not any disciples doing any of this. All right? Let's read the story, and we'll get into it. We'll show you how these are connected. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers, coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. 
Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Now this came after seven signs already in his ministry, including the, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And they're still asking for a sign to prove it. They need to read the Gospel of John. All right, Jesus replied. I'll show you this ultimate sign. You ready for this? Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Speaking of another flash forward, they already give, they give you a spoiler alert right there in verse 22. After he was raised from the dead, like, wait a second, I'm only in chapter 2. What do you mean raised from the dead? If someone was reading this for the first time, they, they told, tell you right there, he's raised from the dead. His disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. So we see in this scene, the mood is switched. Wedding, celebration, we're all happy. Woohoo! this is great. We're all involved. Miracles. Jesus is glory. This is amazing. Is this how it's going to be forever? This is great. Three years later, we get to this scene. Different mood, isn't it? Only Jesus is doing the cleansing. He doesn't have anyone helping like he did with the wedding miracle. He's the one doing it. He didn't have Peter put together a whip for the cord, the cord for the whip. Hey, Peter, can you fix this for me? Can you put this together? I need it. No, he did it himself thinking about it as he's putting that together, took time processing what he was about to do. And when he did this, when he went into the temple and did this, the disciples, what were they doing? They were in awe of what was happening. And they were reminded of scripture. They were witnesses of what Jesus was doing. And as witnesses, they were reminded of prophecy. This prophecy is in Psalm 69, where it says, the passion for his house will consume me. They saw that passion. In other Matthew, Mark, and Luke, other scenes of the story, there's that part where he says, you've turned my, my father's house into a, a den of thieves, which is from Jeremiah, a prophecy in Jeremiah. And then he says, my father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations, which is a prophecy in Isaiah 56. And so there's all these prophecies that are happening as Jesus is cleansing the temple. The disciples are witnesses of what's going on, and they're not getting involved, they're stepping back and letting Jesus do his thing, knowing that this is, this is something good that's happening. The people in the temple probably didn't think it was very good. They thought this, you know, what they were doing was fine. What they were doing was okay. They were you know, making money off of this, this celebration that was happening, the Jewish Passover, which everybody would have came to Jerusalem for this moment. They thought, yeah, this, is, you know, this is fine what we're doing. Jesus comes in and disrupts the norm of what they were doing. So do you think they were like, Thanks, Jesus, for flipping my table over. I needed that. Let me pick up my money from the, the, the ground. Thanks, Jesus. No, they were probably a little bit upset. But what they didn't know in that moment is that this was for the good of them because this is a house of prayer for all nations, which in that moment would have been Gentiles in the outer courts as well. All nations would have been there. And he's like, this is a, this is a place for you, and yet you're turning it into a place for yourself. That's not what this place is meant for. It's meant for my father's glory, 
and you receive that, but if you start doing things on your own in this place, you're not going to get that. So let me come in and cleanse it and shake it up and show you what this place is really about. Do you, are you open to that? A lot of people aren't open to that. A lot of people like it the way they have it going for them because it's working for them. They're making money. It's working for them. They're having a good time. They think it's all good. When Jesus comes and disrupts it, whew, they got to start over. Everything they had on the table is flipped over. They got to start new. And Jesus is calling them to start something new. As us in this room, are we willing to let the Lord flip over some tables in our hearts that we've allowed to get in there and disrupt some of the things that we think what we're doing is good and okay? And are we willing to let the Lord flip some things over in our hearts that might mean that we got to start some things over? Are we willing for that? So we see these stories connected because there's a wedding and a cleansing of the temple. And so Jesus starts his miracles, starts his ministry, his glory at a wedding, at a wedding. And then there's a cleansing that happens. And this is a theme throughout scripture. This is a theme. So I want to show you this. This is pretty neat. And it'll give you an opportunity to go home and read this and see this theme that in the beginning, there was a wedding. Genesis 1 and 2. There's a wedding that happens. God creates humans. Humans are together. It's not good for man to be alone. Man and woman unite as one flesh. They join together in marriage. In Genesis 1 and 2, everything's great. Everything is grand. They're, go, they're, they're working together with God in this garden. They're doing things. They're talking to God. They're listening to his words. They're being obedient to him. They're seeing God's glory, and they're believing while they're here together, married in a garden. See the pattern there of miracles? They're doing that, and they're believing, wow. But then something happens where there's a disobedience happening to God's word, and it cuts off their communication with God because they hide from him. There's a disobedience that happens that when, the, when, the, when, the, when Adam and Eve decided to do things on their own, thought that we could take care of things on our own, we could start selling money in this temple. We could start taking things for ourselves, which is what they did. They saw the fruit. They took it for themselves. And what happened is that there had to be a cleansing in Genesis 3, where God said, you guys can't be here anymore. This is a holy place. You guys have to leave right now. And so they get kicked out of the garden at the end of Genesis 3. There's a cleansing of the temple garden. Then we out, throughout the whole Old Testament, we see this theme of, of together, wedding, and cleansing. Look, read the book of Hosea. You can see it there. You can see it throughout the prophecies where all these things are happening, wedding and then cleansing, wedding, cleansing. And then in John 2, we see it, a wedding and a cleansing happening. Now, when Jesus comes, as the, he's, he's the, the, the bridegroom to us, to the body, to the, to the bride, the church. He's the bridegroom. And so we get a taste of his glory when he's here. He's with us. The bridegroom is with us. So what do we do? We celebrate, right? What did John's disciples say to Jesus' disciples? Why are, why are they not fasting? Why are they not sad? And Jesus is like, because I'm here with them. The, the groom is here with the bride. You don't fast when you're together. You're, you're celebrating. You're celebrating this. But then what happens is Jesus leaves and ascends, and he says, when I leave, that's the time when the, the, the bride will fast because they're longing for the groom to return. So Jesus, when he came the first time, he didn't stay forever, did he? He left. 
but he's coming back. Let me get to that more in a minute. Then, Revelation 1, we see a kind of a, a wedding, which a revealing in Jesus. We see in Revelation 1, there's all this revelation of who Jesus is, his glory being revealed and his, and his face being shown and his description of who he is. And Revelation 1 has all that right there. There's like tons of descriptions of Jesus right there in Revelation 1. Then in Revelation 2 and 3, you see another type of cleansing of the temple where Jesus starts writing letters to the seven churches at the time. And he says, hey, you guys are doing great. Uh, you guys also need to work on this. There's also people in your church that, are ha- that have sexual immorality that you need to kind of get out of, right? There's a cleansing that happens in Revelation 2 and 3 of these letters. And then throughout Revelation, we see a cleansing. And I believe that Jesus is still cleansing the temple today. We're not at a wedding yet, are we? We're not living in a wedding right now. There's a cleansing happening on this earth. There's a cleansing that, that, that Jesus is doing. And what do we do? We sit back and watch and, and wait and see and, and read Scripture. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. Zeal for his house will consume me. We're seeing it happen. And so we're living in this time of, of, of cleansing still because there will be a wedding that comes. There will be a wedding. That's the theme we see. Wedding, cleansing, but now we're in cleansing, but there's a wedding coming that won't go away. That wedding celebration is eternal. We're not there yet, are we? Now, as believers, as the, the bride of Christ, we still do celebrate. We sing songs of joy. We have moments of great celebration. We have moments where we're, 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 we're eating and drinking together, and we're, 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 we're celebrating together and worshiping Jesus but there's also still a lot of grief that we're feeling, aren't we? There's a lot of pain that we still feel. It's not like we're at a wedding feast yet, but we get taste of his glory, don't we? We taste his glory. The wine represents this, this joy. It was real wine, yes, but it, wine represents joy. So we have joy still, but there's also sorrow. It doesn't go away until that great day the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's terrible for some that he's going to cleanse and flip some tables over at that time in their lives. It's great for those who've received what he's done on the cross for us, who've received it and are waiting and ready for him to return because we know it's a wedding feast to come, and it's a wedding feast that won't go away. And so in this temple scene where Jesus cleansed the temple, we often think, you know, we get things reversed, don't we? Sometimes we don't, want to, we don't want to celebrate. We don't want to be a part of the miracles of Jesus in the, in the wedding. We kind of want to sit back and just kind of like, eh. But then when it comes to the temple scene, sometimes we want to put ourselves in the place of Jesus, don't we? We're like, well, give me a whip. There's some things going on in your, in your body, Jesus, that I want to get rid of. There's some things that I want to cleanse out, God. I see some things happening over here. I'm going to flip some tables. And people get really angry. There's a lot of angry people in the church. There's a lot of angry people at the church who aren't even in the church. There's a lot of people that are angry at the church who don't really have a passion and a love for the church. The reason Jesus could flip over tables is because he actually had a passion and a love for his church. He was doing it out of love. It wasn't just a wrath to be angry at something because he was angry. He had a flesh problem of being angry. He didn't have a flesh problem. But we sometimes do still. Where we sometimes feel angry just because we're angry. And we want to flip some tables and call it godly. Well, this is just stupid, God. Oh, are you just angry just to be angry? Yes, I'm angry that I'm angry. <laughs> what? And so people think, you know, they're, they're Jesus. 
And they're getting a whip out and flipping tables over because that looks fun. But serving wine to people, I mean, I don't know about that. That doesn't really sound that fun. I want to do something exciting. Flip tables over. Ah! But God's calling us to serve one another. (laughs) He's calling us to simply serve one another out of joy, out of celebration, to point people to the wedding that's to come. Let Jesus do the cleansing. Let Jesus do it. We, just, we will celebrate and allow Jesus to cleanse our own hearts. Sometimes we think we're, we're good. I don't think Jesus needs to cleanse me. He does. I think I'm pretty good. I, mean, I, got, I got all my ducks in a, in a row. I mean, they're all on this table. My ducks are in a row on this table. <laughs> Jesus wants to flip that over. <laughs> like that. Right? So what, how does he do this? How does he cleanse us? How does he cleanse? He says to them, hey, look at this. Take this temple, destroy this temple. Jesus is talking about himself. And I'll raise it again in three days. Put this temple on the cross. Jesus is saying that to them. And that's the ultimate sign that's gonna come of cleansing is the cross. Through the cross, there's cleansing. Through the bloodshed of Jesus, there's cleansing that happens that's available to all. We see that in the wedding where he takes away the shame. Hebrews 12, 2 says he goes on the cross scorning shame, despising shame. We see it at the wedding. It started there. He despised the shame there. He's he's taking shame upon himself and saying, you know what? I'm not just going to tell you to cleanse the temple. I'm going to take it upon myself and do it. Only Jesus can do that. I'm going to take it upon myself, take the sin of the world, put it on the cross. I'll take it. I'll take the wrath of God. I'll take it all absorbs it on the cross for us so that we could go to him, say, Jesus, I need this temple cleansed through the blood of Jesus and what he did for me. So the best for last, we see that in that story of the wedding, he saves the best for last. Jesus saving the best wedding for last, the wedding feast of the lamb. The wedding and cleansing in John 2 was a sign of the ultimate best eternal wedding in Revelation and the ultimate cleansing in Revelation. Revelation 19, 7 says this, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb. Remember when he said to Mary, my time hasn't come yet. The time here has come. The wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself She's allowed the cleansing of Jesus in her life. The church has allowed the cleansing to happen. We see in Ephesians 5, I don't have it out there, forgot. Ephesians 5, 2, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, 22, through that passage there, 32, you can read it. We, we studied Ephesians, right, Jackie? We studied Ephesians together. You can read that, how Jesus, I do have it. Or did you put it? You probably did. Andy, you're, sorry. I'm taking glory for credit for what you did, Andy. Thank you. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Passion for the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, as a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle 
or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we as members of his body, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. Where is that scripture from? Genesis 2, yeah. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. We see a wedding in Genesis 2. We're going to see a wedding at the end where we're united with Christ, but right now we're not, and it feels difficult right now. Go back to that Revelation passage, and I just jumped. John jumps a lot. I like jumping around. She has been given to the finest pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the words, true words that come from God. Then later on in Revelation 22, this is our cry here. Kaylee, you can come up. This is our cry right now. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. The spirit and the bride say, come. Is this the cry of your heart right now? As you're living on this earth, as if you're part of the, the church, the bride of Christ, are you crying out for him? Are you having times of fasting simply for the fact that you just want him to come and return? Is there a fast going on like that in our hearts? We might start fasting and then Jesus is like, all right, you're going to fast. Guess what that means? It's a cleansing going to happen. Are you ready for that? We might start fasting and Jesus shows us some things to cleanse out. We might get scared. Oh, Jesus, hold on. Oh, wait, I like that. Yeah, but I like you more. But Jesus, I like this thing in my heart. Yes, but I love you more. Are you willing to receive and believe And my love for you is greater than that thing that you have in your heart? I think so, Jesus. Yes, help me with my unbelief. So, I love, I love the church. <laughs> I love what God's doing. I've been in the church for my whole life. There's been many people who have taken me and cared for me as the Father cares for me. There's been real representations of the Father's love for me through the church. Nowhere else, nowhere else in this world has given me the same love and care and help that I've needed other than the church. And it's been God working through the church in miraculous ways through other humans to help me out. We need that. I need that. And you need to be that for somebody else. You need to be that for somebody, to take care of one another as humans, to do these things of prayer for one another, to do these things of reading and obeying God's word together, to do these things to see God's glory being revealed in other people. There might be somebody out there that you need a father. You need to take under your wings. There might be some people out there you need a mother. And as the church, what other perfect person would there be that Jesus has cleansed you and made you whole and it's not for your glory and you know that. You're not doing it for your own glory. There's a lot of people in this world that don't have God that do things for their own glory and it gets twisted and messed up. That's not what we're doing. If you've been cleansed by God, 
as the people of the church, you've been cleansed by God. Celebrate. You're free of sin. Celebrate. Show that to the world, how good it feels. And let people join in with that. Be confident in your cleansing that God's done for you. Be confident in that. I am cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. I can go and have the authority of Christ to go and preach the gospel. I have the authority of Christ to speak to people and to pray for people. Be confident in that. Yes, I'm part of what you're doing on this earth, God. I want to be a part of your miraculous signs that you're still doing today so that other people would believe. Yes, God. Give me some wine to serve someone. Yes. But it first starts with us. First starts with the church. We got to be cleansed ourselves. So I want to pray for that. He's calling us to believe so that he can fill us with living water. Later on in John 7, he says this. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Everyone is invited to the wedding. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. But now we're in the time where the spirit has been given to us. Now we're in the time Acts 2 has happened. Jesus has ascended. His spirit has been given to us so that we can walk around with living water to offer other people right now during a time of cleansing. During a time when people are scared of what's going on. We can offer a hope because we have hope that a wedding is coming. We have hope that a wedding is coming. Every time you serve someone out of love of God inside of you through the spirit pouring himself in you, you pouring it out to other people, it's hope to the world. And it's an invitation to the wedding that's to come. It's an invitation when you offer hope to people, love, grace, show the mercy of God on their lives and say, hey, there is a cleansing. Jesus is offering you something, his blood. He's offering you himself. You tell that to people, not, hey, you're a bad person going to hell. Jesus has something for you, man. It takes you listening and being obedient. But here, man, it's the, it's, it's, it's the blood of Jesus. Don't you want it? Everyone is invited to it. So right now, I want to pray and ask God to cleanse our hearts, to cleanse us. As we believe in him, there's life in him. If we do not believe and we are disobedient, the wrath of God remains on us. John 3, 36. Last scripture. And anyone, this is next week, John 3, we're a little flash forward. Anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment, remains in a cleansing, remains in that temple that needs to be cleansed. But if you believe there's life, eternal life offered to us. So I'm going to pray, and Kayla's going to sing a song that has to do with this cleansing and has to do with this opening up our hearts to God. And so as I pray, you can feel free to come forward. We can pray for you. You don't have to. You can stay at your seat. You can put your hands on your heart. Put your hands on your mind. Ask someone else to pray for you. Everyone watching online, you can just lay down face forward, face down on the ground. 
Nobody else is watching you. To lay down before the Lord. I was terrified to talk about this today. I was talking about God's judgment. It's terrifying. The fear of the Lord is real. Lord, it starts with me, God. I need, I need you, Lord, to, to cleanse anything in my heart, God, that's not of you, Father. Any darkness that I can't see, God, reveal it, Lord, right now. I want to be part of that wedding one day, God. It's our desire, Lord. So many other people, Lord, that need that, that are invited. Everyone's invited, God. Everyone's invited to the wedding, and everyone's invited to the cleansing. Let us not skip over the cleansing just to get to the, try to get to the wedding on our own. Cleanse us right now, Father, right here, beginning in this church right here, in this congregation of people who are here this morning, who are watching. Start with us, Lord. We're asking you to do that because we know your love for us. We sang about it this morning. Oh, how he loves us. We know you love us, God. We're comfortable in that. So if we know you love us, your judgment towards us is is out of love because you love us so much. So cleanse us right now, Father. Cleanse our hearts, God. Cleanse our minds in Christ Jesus, the blood of the Lamb. We're going to sing this song. You know, we'll, we'll close it out. Come and tear down.